All right, if we could go ahead, let's, let's gather together for a time <clears throat> of looking into God's Word. If you take your Bibles, turn to Matthew. Uh, we are continuing our series in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 15, if you can do that. Uh, the subject of my message this morning is faith, okay? And as Christians, we know that this is essential for our lives, right? That faith is the air that we breathe spiritually. It's necessary in our regeneration. That means when we first became a Christian, when we first came to know the Lord, and it continues to be necessary in our sanctification as we grow more and more as Christians to look like Jesus Christ. And so my favorite verse, okay, and we'll put it up uh, if we can right now. My favorite verse, it's one of uh, my life verses, uh, is Hebrews 11.6. And it says this, But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Right? So here's what I want you to see in this verse. Two things. Number one, faith is confident about who God is. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. Number one, faith is confident of who God is. And then number two, faith is confident about what he can do. That he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That God can reward you with his presence. He can reward you with power in your life. That he can reward you with answered prayer. That he can reward you with transformation. Do you believe that? Can I get an amen? amen? All right. God can do those things in your life, and God will reward those who diligently seek him in faith. Now, today's text in Matthew chapter 15, right, 21 through 28, illustrates perfectly this truth that we looked at. This, in this story, we see a woman who has faith. Actually, she, ha she is a mom that has faith. And she is confident about who Jesus is, and she's confident about what he can do. This was one bad mother, okay? And bad meaning good, of course, right? And we see this woman who has amazing, what we call mega faith. This person was one of only two people in the entire Bible who Jesus exclaimed had great faith. And the Greek actually is the, the word that we get our English mega from that she had mega faith. Now let's look at this passage, Matthew chapter 15, and I'll begin reading in verse 21. Let's look at it together. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman came from that vicinity and came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. Jesus replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said, for even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have mega faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that moment. 
Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Jesus was absolutely pleased with this mom's faith. Now, why did he say she has mega faith? Because, as we looked in Hebrews 11.6, she was confident about who Jesus is, right? He who comes to God must believe that he is. And number two, she was confident about what Jesus can do. And so here she diligently seeks out his reward. Now, I think you're going to be really blessed uh, this morning by the faith of this amazing woman. So let's unpack this story, okay? Let's look in verse 21. Look at it with me. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, let me give you a bit of background, okay? Jesus had been ministering in, northern, in the northern region of Israel called Galilee, near the Sea of Galilee. We've been going weeks in the book of Matthew on this particular area, right? Now, he is leaving Galilee to move further north to the famous Gentile cities of Tyre and Sidon. I want you to mark that because this is the first time now that Jesus moves into Gentile territory. It's a Phoenician region, of what we would today see as southern Lebanon, okay? Now, note, Jesus takes his disciples 50 miles from Galilee into Gentile territory along the coast. Now, why would he do that? Well, if you remember from our previous studies, Jesus had just finished an intense season of ministry in Galilee. Remember this? The crowds were gathering and they were growing and growing. And with that, the pressure was building and building. There was pressure from the masses who wanted help and healing. There was pressure from those who wanted to use Jesus for their political agenda. And so the Bible says that at one time, they wanted to take him by force to be their king. There was pressure from the religious leaders, even as we saw yesterday, who saw him as a threat and wanted to trap him so that they could discredit him in some way and maybe even destroy him. And all the while, these crowds followed him closely so that the Bible says in Mark 6.31 that he couldn't even rest or he couldn't even eat. So all the pressure that he had drove him to seek a time of solitude and separation and seclusion from the, cl- from the crowds. You see, Jesus needed a time to rest and relax and refresh with his disciples, so he chose a Gentile region of Phoenicia outside of the jurisdiction of the religious leaders and outside the attention of the multitudes who were so needy. And so this is a place where he could be anonymous. Now, Mark 7, 24, that's a companion to Matthew 15, says he entered a house and did not want to be found. So essentially what Jesus was doing is Jesus booked a private retreat at an Airbnb in Phoenicia, okay, so he could hang out with his disciples. But someone was about to crash his private retreat. Now, to understand the, uh, this account fully and how unheard of it was, how shocking this would have been to Jesus and his disciples, and to the Jews of his day, as they were reading this, or as they, was looking, as they were looking at this, I want you to do me a favor. I've asked you to do this many times before, but do it again for me, okay? Humor me. Put your hand on top of your head. Would you do that? Okay, so all of us are wearing Dodger baseball caps, right? 21st century Dodger baseball caps, okay? If you're wearing an Angels, that's acceptable, okay? Now, take it and take it off, okay? 
And if it's a Dodger cap, put it gently because we revere the Dodgers here, okay? Just put it gently. If it's a Giants cap, throw it away, okay? Get rid of it. But just put that there. And now I want you to put back onto your head, would you do that right, right now for me? The first century Hebrew Sudra, okay? All right. So what you've done is you've taken off the 21st century understanding and you put on the first century Hebrew understanding of what was going on, okay? This will help us. In verse 22, it says, a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, all right? Now, this woman barges into Jesus' space. Now, why is this so shocking? I want you to notice who this was. This was a woman, okay? Why is that shocking? Well, in the first century Hebrew world, women were seen as unimportant, okay? There was a prayer that the Hebrews prayed that said this, Blessed are you, O God, who did not make me, among other things, a woman. <laughs> Can you believe that? Whoa. Why? Why would that prayer be? Because women were seen as unimportant, right? They were second class. Women's rights were limited only to their homes. Women were segregated in the synagogues and in the temple where they had to be in the back, right? Women could not, uh, uh, women not, were not credible witnesses in a courtroom. Women were seen as temptations by the Jewish religious leaders. So socially, uh, rabbis did not even talk to women in public for fear they would lose their status or reputation. Okay? This woman comes barging into this young rabbi's life, Jesus. Not only was this a woman, this was a Canaanite. Okay? Now, if you've studied your Bible in the Old Testament, Canaanites were the original occupiers of the promised land. And God told the Israelites to conquer the land as a divine judgment on the Canaanites for their sins. And so even up to this point, in the Jewish mind, Canaanites were seen as cursed people, okay? If there was anyone outside of the covenant of God, it was them. And then not only was she a Canaanite, but she was a specific kind of Canaanite. Mark 7 said that she was a Phoenician. She was from Tyre and Sidon. In the Old Testament... The most infamous queen of Israel was who? Jezebel, right? Did you know that she was of royalty, of Phoenician royalty, from Tyre and Sidon? And so she was instrumental, if you know your history, in popularizing the worship of Baal, right? She brought idol worship, the worship of Baal and Asherah, to prominence in Israel. And it became a snare to God's people for hundreds and hundreds of years. As a matter of fact, Jezebel was the symbol of idolatry. We look in the book of Revelation, right, which was probably written uh, the last in the canon of, of Scripture, and we see her name pop up as a symbol of idolatry. So to the Jew, this woman had everything going against her. She was a Gentile. She was a Canaanite. She was a Phoenician. In the Jewish mindset, she was the lowest of the low. And so notice what she said. Let's look in verse 22. Crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. This woman barges into Jesus' space, and, he sh and she shouts and she screams for Jesus to help her. The word for cry means continuous, relentless, passionate cries. Okay? Can you imagine this? Here Jesus is, is, is at an Airbnb to rest. And this woman comes and consistently cries. And what does she cry? She cries, Lord. You know what that means? It means master. She is acknowledging the authority of Jesus in her life. 
This is incredible because she's not a Jew. She's not even a God-fearer. That means a Gentile that's converted. She's a straight-up pagan, but she is turning to Jesus as Lord, as master. And you know what else she says? She says, son of David. This was actually a title given to the Jewish Messiah, that he would sit on David's throne and usher in his everlasting regime, that God would give him all the kingdoms of the world for him to reign eternally. Messiah would be a divine ruler. Again, she's not Jewish, right? She shouldn't have any concerns of this, but she's acknowledging Jesus' identity, his destiny, right? His mandate in her life personally. She is turning to Jesus as king. Now, I want you to notice that this is pretty spectacular, given who she is, given what she's saying. And I want you to notice why she says these things. Let's look in verse 22. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. This woman barges into Jesus' space, and she cries continuously for Jesus to help her. Why? Because she's in great need. Her daughter is severely demonized. The Bible doesn't tell us the details of uh, this, but we see from other gospel accounts of other demon-possessed demon individuals, and they suffer horrific things, terrible things. Now, imagine the pain of this mother seeing her little girl suffer unspeakable actions at the hand of evil spirits. This woman was desperate. So the reason why she calls him master and messiah is because she is confident about who Jesus is. That's faith. And she knows who Jesus is because of, and get this, desperation that has opened her eyes. You see, desperation will open your eyes to Jesus. Can I get an amen? You see, when things are sunny and prosperous and plentiful, it can actually blind our eyes and deceive us into thinking that we don't need a thing, that we're in charge of our life, that we're the masters of our own ship. But then the storms come, and the trials come, and the disasters come, and it forces us to look up. We can't look in anymore at our lives and at, at, at who we think we are. We have to look up. The psalmist says, I lift my eyes up. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and earth. Do you know why the psalmist says we look up? It's because when we look around, we can't find anybody that can help us. When we look around, there's no one that can save us. And this woman, I'm sure, tried everything around her. She looked around at the idols. She looked around at her false gods. She looked around at the magicians and sorcerers and doctors, but no one could help her. And so the only thing she could do was desperately look up. And she realized that Jesus was the only one that could save her. You see, Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. We've seen how this woman was confident about who Jesus is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now let's look at how this woman was confident about what Jesus can do. You see, the key to her faith was how diligently she pursued Jesus. I want you to see a number of obstacles that potentially could have derailed her, but mega faith overcomes obstacles. If you're taking notes, write that down. This is probably the most important thing. Mega faith overcomes obstacles. I want, you to, I want us to look at the first obstacle. Would you look at it? The obstacle of silence. The obstacle of silence. Now, 
Here in verse 23, it says, Jesus did not answer a word. Imagine this. The Canaanite woman is in Jesus' presence. She's screaming and crying out to Jesus. And Jesus sees her there, but her, his response is total silence. Total silence. How awkward that must have been. How disconcerting it must have been. Now, why? Was Jesus being mean? Well, we know from the scriptures, we've studied it again and again, Jesus is the most kind, the most compassionate, the most ready-to-accommodate person that we know. So it's not that. Is Jesus prejudiced? Does he just not like the Phoenicians? Does he just not like Gentiles? Well, we know from scripture, and Wilson has, has brought this out, Mark has brought it out, that Jesus heals even the, the Gentiles. There is a, a passage of scripture that said there's a large contingent in the crowds from Tyre and Sidon that came for healing, and Jesus healed all of them. So it's not that Jesus is prejudiced. What is Jesus doing? And here's the point. Jesus is testing her faith. He is drawing out of her what is on the inside. He wants to bring outside what is inside of her. And Jesus loves doing this in the Gospels. Now imagine how deflating, how discouraging, how disillusioning this silence was for this woman. What is her response? Her response is persistence. Let's look in verse 23. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. The Bible says that the disciples are irritated and annoyed because even in the silence, she continues to relentlessly, uh, uh, relentlessly cry out the same refrain, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus isn't doing anything. She's, doing, she's continually crying out. How irritating that must have been. And sometimes we encounter the silence of God, don't we? I appreciate what Jesse said this morning. Have you ever prayed and God was totally silent. You pled for direction. You cried out for healing. You asked for help. You begged for an answer. And it seems that all your prayers fell on deaf ears. I know how that feels. It's so deflating and discouraging and disillusioning. But I want you to remember this. Just because God is silent doesn't mean he isn't listening. Amen? I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't send her away. He's just silent, right? He doesn't make her go away. He's quiet. And silence doesn't mean that he doesn't care. You see, the purpose of silence is persistence. Jesus says it again and again in his Gospels. He tells us, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Silence isn't to get you to quit. It's to develop perseverance so that you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So when there's silence, dig deeper, cry greater, pray longer, grow deeper in your relationship to God. You see, the purpose of silence is not to push you away. The purpose of silence is to build up the faith that you claim that you have. You know, I wasn't going to share this uh, because it makes me look really bad, okay? It makes me look kind of silly. I, I'm pretty... I'm pretty open to, um, you know, in sharing about things, but I was really, <laughs> I was really debating about it. Now, some of you just woke up. You're like, well, what was he going to say, right? Um, okay, I'll share it. So there was a time in my life that I was just depressed. I, I think I was clinically depressed. 
And it was because of ministry, and it was because of so many things that happened that it just overwhelmed me. And so I had to take a break from ministry. And I remember during this time, um, I was so depressed that I couldn't sleep at night. And so I would actually roam around in our one-bedroom uh, apartment at the time. And I remember I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't pray, really. You know, I would, the only things I would say is, God, why are you doing this? You know, Lord, what's going on? But I remember just pacing. And it was about 2 in the morning. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't really watch TV. I was just kind of stewing, stewing in my depression. And I remember outside, 2 in the morning, I hear this, meow, meow, right? I heard this, oh, this is, okay, this is embarrassing. Anyway, so I hear this, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking to myself, you know, I wish this cat would stop, you know, meowing. Because it was meowing for about an hour, and it was kind of disturbing my depression, right? Meow, meow, you know? And so what I did was, it, 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 you know, it was like an hour, maybe two hours, I'm not sure. So what I did was I opened up a can of tuna, and I brought out, it was a little black kitten, you know? Can you imagine? It was a little black kitten, right? And so I put the tuna out, and uh, like the next morning, uh, that kitten ate the whole thing. It was hungry, okay? But that night, as I put it out, I really sensed the Holy Spirit saying, you know, you need to call out to me. But I couldn't pray. And so this is embarrassing, okay? So you know what I did? I just laid on my couch and I went, meow, meow. I know, you think less of me right now. I went, meow. I, all I could do was meow, right? Because I thought to myself, this cat was meowing. And I came out, not because I love, I, I actually hate cats, okay? I love dogs, okay? <laughs> It was a kitten. I could have brought it in, but I, yeah, I don't like cats, so I didn't bring it in, okay? So this, this, cat, this kitten was meowing, and I felt like I needed to give it something, right? And I felt the Lord saying the same thing to me, you know, just, just abide with me. And I remember that all he did was meow the whole time because I was so depressed. And I look back and I laugh. I don't do that anymore, okay? I don't, you're never, you'll never find me doing that, okay? Now, but I remember the times when I had to just abide with the Lord in the silence, in the silence. You see, faith is persistent in its seeking after Jesus. The next point that we want to look at is the obstacle of difficulty. Let's look in verse 24. And Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, as I studied this passage, every commentary, every commentator explained the theological aspect of what Jesus was conveying, that Jesus was explaining the priority of Israel was that he was focused on fulfilling the promises and the prophecies concerning Messiah. And so after his death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension, he would begin the mission to the whole world, right? And that is so true. As much as that's so true, but it's not what Jesus is communicating to her, right? It's not what she said, because a theological lesson involving Israel, she wouldn't have understood that. There's no way. You know what she was doing? You know what Jesus was doing? It was something more basic. Jesus was testing her faith. He is drawing out what is on the inside. He wants to bring outside what is inside of her. And Jesus does it to many who call him Lord and Master. Jesus is saying, if you commit to me as Lord and and Messiah, what will you do with the difficult things I tell you? Do you remember the fabulously rich young ruler who saw Jesus as Lord and Messiah and wanted to follow him? Do you know what he said to, to him? He said, go sell everything you have and come and follow me. 
Do you remember the crowds and even the disciples who eagerly followed Jesus after he fed them uh, 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 the feeding of the 5,000 and saw Jesus as definitely Lord and Messiah? You know, what does he say to them? Unless you eat my flesh and you drink my blood, you have no life in you, right? What is that, right? There's a young man who eagerly said, I'll follow you to the very ends of the earth. I'll follow you. And, G- and he definitely saw Jesus as Lord and Messiah. And you know what he says to him? He says, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but I have no place to call home. You're going to be a vagabond if you follow me. Guess what? They all fell away. They all left him, right? The fabulously rich young ruler left him, right? The crowds, even the disciples who eagerly followed, they left him. The young man who said, I'll follow you everywhere, he le- they left him. Because Jesus saw the inside because it came outside, right? What was on the inside of this woman? Her response, let's look at it. Her response is worship. Can you bring that up? Worship. Verse 25, the woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. The literal translation uses the word worship. That this woman acted upon what she truly believed, that she worshiped him as master and Messiah. You see, after Jesus speaks this difficult thing to her, she could have easily interpreted this as rejection. She could have easily given into her insecurities about race and status and rights and past deeds. Instead, she bows the knee to Jesus. She surrenders to his sovereignty. She doesn't understand it all, but she bows to him. And instead of leaving him, she leans into him by sincerely praying, Lord, help me. You see, faith is passionate in its worshiping of Jesus. Now, let's look at the third thing. Can we put it up? It's the obstacle of pride. This is kind of a culmination, isn't it? Let's look in verse 26. Jesus replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and to toss it to the dogs. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Did you feel that? Right? What is Jesus saying here, right? There's an automatic desire that we as Christians have to defend Jesus because what he says to our 21st, under, uh, 21st century understanding sounds completely offensive, right? To our sensibilities, this is cringeworthy. What are you saying, Jesus? And so I've looked at so many commentaries and commentators that defend what he said, okay? They say things like, well, it's a maxim. It's an ancient saying that they would have understood back then, but we don't understand right now. And so it was really circulated all around, so uh, it doesn't mean to offend. It didn't mean to offend. It's a maxim, right? Or they say the word here for dog is little. It's in the diminutive, which it is, right? It actually means little dog or puppy. So puppies are cute. He's saying you're cute. It's not offensive, right? Or, you see, you know, this is first century banter. We don't get it today, but it's intended to be tongue-in-cheek. Jesus is saying it with a smile. It's not meant to be offensive. And I've heard and I've looked at uh, from commentaries all the things that people are saying. But all these uh, uh, explanations are meant to minimize the offensiveness. Okay? But let me tell you this. But when you do that, you miss the whole point of this passage. Did you know that? The fact is, Jesus is intentionally making an offensive statement. He's purposely provoking this Canaanite woman. Why in the world would he do that, right? Why on earth would he want to offend? Well, because he's testing 
her faith. He's drawing out of her what's on the inside. He wants to bring outside what is inside of her. You see, the Jews proudly called themselves children. They were the children of Abraham. That's what they would say on the one hand, and they would scornfully deride the Gentiles as dogs on the other. We're the children, and you're the dogs. So what Jesus says is, I've been sent to the house of Israel. That is my priority as Messiah. You've said that I'm Messiah. So it isn't right to take what is for them and to give it to those who are not a part of that house because they are not God's chosen people. They aren't heirs to the blessings promised. They don't have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as their lineage. They haven't been entrusted God's words and God's commandments. They have no rights to God. It is not right to take the children's bread and to toss it to the dogs. Wow. I want that to sink in. Does that sound offensive to you? Does that sound like provocation to you? Are you ready to hear what comes out of her heart? Let's look in verse 27. Yes, it is, Lord, for even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Do you know what she's saying? If you call me a dog, if you call me a dog, Lord, then that's what I am. I don't have a godly legacy. I'm a Canaanite. I don't have a godly history. I'm a Phoenician. I'm not entitled to your blessings. I'm a Gentile. I'm an alien and a foreigner to your promises. I have no right to you at all. I'm just grateful to receive the crumbs of grace that fall from your table. I readily accept the crumbs. Her response, look at it, is gratefulness. It's gratefulness. Now listen to me. Jesus has been saying again and again in this gospel and in the other gospels, my kingdom is offensive to your pride because my kingdom, this eternal salvific kingdom that is coming into the world is nothing like the world. And so when I come, it is going to offend you. I'm going to be a stumbling block to your pride. And if you come proud, you're definitely going to be offended. But my kingdom, and he says this in the Beatitudes, if you enter it, when you, when you enter it, poor in spirit, understanding your brokenness. When you come into it, mourning your sinfulness. When you come approaching with meekness and humility. When you hunger and thirst after my righteousness, which you don't have. When you ask for mercy, which you need, you're going to be blessed. Can I get an Amen. That's what Jesus is saying, and that's what he's proclaiming to the entire world, Jew and Gentile alike. He's saying, my kingdom needs to be approached by faith in this way, and that's the posture of faith. The woman is saying, it's not about me. It's all about you, Jesus. I don't deserve to be here. I'm fallen. I'm broken. I come from a sinful past. I don't demand anything from you because I don't deserve anything from you. I'm grateful for the crumbs. Lord, give me the crumbs. And faith is humble in its gratitude to Jesus. Let's look in verse 28. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that very moment. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment? 
I can't pass up the opportunity to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you in the quietness of your own heart. This new year, are you ready to live by faith? Are you ready to see great things from the Lord, to expect great things from the Lord? Do you really believe what you continually assert as Christians, that he is master and that he is Messiah? Now let me ask you this question, just in the quietness of your own heart. Are these characteristics, those things that are on the inside of you? If they aren't, would you make a resolution today to seek to live out these characteristics of faith? Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in our lives. We pray that you would continue to do that work in us, that we would live by faith from beginning to end. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. You know, this is the time where we can express what we've heard uh, this morning. We're going to go into a time of communion. And so I invite you, if you are a believer, if you have taken those steps to enter into the kingdom of God, then please, by all means, go and partake and show Just show by your actions, show on the outside what's going on on the inside.